One of the things I say a lot in the class, and excuse me, was is that nothing is binary. And of course, in life, we could say that. But I, in terms of, let's just say I'm teaching a, a stretch for your thigh. I, we have all these progressions. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm not doing that because I'm super tight. It's like, okay, well, you can do it a little bit. You can do it a little bit more. You can do it a little bit more. And it's like, oh, exercising once a week, you could say, well, that, does, that means nothing, but it actually does, and it does add up. So nothing is binary. And we like to put ourselves in these, oh, I'm either exercising or I'm not, or I'm either advanced or I'm not, or I'm eating well or I'm not, which of course probably comes up a lot. No, it's all shades, all of it. Welcome to Mom Strength, a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host, Surabhi Veach, physiotherapist and fitness coach, also known as the Passionate Physio. Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Mom Strength Podcast. This is Surabhi Veach, and I'm really excited today to have on Winnie Lingovic. So Winnie and I met through the Movement Maestro's monthly membership, which is the Mafia, and I, I heard Winnie speak, and I was just – my mind was blown. She is incredible. Her energy is so powerful and her wisdom, Winnie's wisdom, I, I love that term, Winnie introduced me to. Um, and I'm excited to hear, hear her chat and share her story. So I'm going to officially introduce her. So Winnie runs the Elevate Practice and she's a teacher, a researcher, and best-selling author. Um, Winnie teaches useful and usable yoga that seriously works without taking herself too seriously. She's the founder of the Elevate Practice, an online yoga subscription where you discover that the best yoga for you is the yoga you actually do. Hello, Winnie, and welcome to my podcast. I am so glad to be here. Um, you are, first of all, you're amazing. I want to hear about you and how you got started. What drew you to yoga? What was your journey into practicing and then eventually teaching? Okay. Um, I was a strength coach and I was a personal trainer in New York City in the late 90s. Oh, that I sound so old. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I, I, was, I was also a competitive bodybuilder and I just loved what I did. And I helped people, you know, get fit and get a six pack, sometimes even an eight pack, or if they were a business person, a two pack, but I help people with their bodies. And I wrote a book called Body Change with my client at the time, Montel Williams. And I was really stressed out. We went on a book tour and it was a best-selling book and like life was good, but I was really stressed out. So I get from home from the book tour and my girlfriend, who's now my wife says to me, you should try yoga. And I'm like, yoga? Because this is a long time ago. This was in the year 2001. I said, yoga, that's, that's like for the older people at 11 o'clock in the gym. And she said, no, 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 you really should try yoga. You're really stressed out. So the next day I went to a yoga class and it was not easy. It was actually the hardest thing I ever did. But there was something about it 
that I liked. And I said, I'm going to go back tomorrow. And I did. But that tomorrow was on September 11th, 2001. And I was like, I went, worked my way down to this, my second yoga class. I'm really psyched to take this class. And we're sitting there, this is New York City. And we're sitting there waiting for the class to start. And someone comes in and says, the teacher is stuck in traffic downtown. Downtown was the Wall Street area. So need I say more, that was how I got started in yoga and why I never left. Wow. When I, and I, you know, there was something about yoga that I loved uh, that just made my mind feel better. And I decided, well, I, I love this so much, but I can't do it, any of it. I'll, I'll never, ever teach it. My strength is in strength and conditioning. What I do is I help people literally change their bodies. And I was really, really like, I'm never going to teach it. So it was just like, let me just learn everything I possibly could. And I did. But I could not help myself from teaching it because it helped me so very, very much. I could not help it. And that's why I started teaching yoga. And eventually, all of my work was more towards the yoga side than to how to change your body side, mm-hmm. even though all the principles and you know things that I know about the body, how to make yourself stronger, mobility and stretching are integrated into my teaching. So that's how I got started teaching what, yoga. What a story. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is so powerful and wow. And to be in New York timing. during that time, that timing. Yeah. And I feel like you found it at the right time, it sounds like. Exactly. You found it at the right time in your life. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you use it as a tool to teach and how yes. yoga, you know, what are the goals of performing or not performing, practicing, mm-hmm. I would should say, yoga? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. And let's remember that um, yoga is a practice. It's not a performance, even though sometimes, you know, we start looking at pictures of people on, you know, these fabulous poses on a cliff and we think it's a performance. So the way that I approach my classes, and this might not be for all yoga classes, but these are for the classes I teach, is that there are three goals of a yoga class. Number one, first and foremost, especially now, is to feel better. That's it. Like that is the main goal. And if that's all we do today in our class, we are done. Right. But we got two other goals. The second one, and this might be more specific to the classes I teach, is to learn something new about the body you've lived in all your life. And there's always something new to learn, whether it's, oh, I don't know a downward facing dog could feel like that. Or, oh, I don't know that breathing like this for three minutes will make me scream less at my children. Something like that. (laughs) So the second goal is to learn something new because it is a class about the body you've learned, you've lived in all your life. And the third goal, and this has been really important lately as people feel guilty that they're not doing enough yoga, that they're not doing yoga every day, like the people on social media, that they don't do as many classes like they did in the before times or before they had kids or before they went back to work is a third goal of our yoga classes is to show you and for you to discover for yourself that one really good class a week, one really good practice a week makes the whole week better. And what that does, especially maybe for your listeners today, is it takes away the guilt. Oh, I need to do this every day. Oh, I need to spend three hours a day in headstand or whatever, right? Oh, I just need to do this once a week 
or, or once a month, whatever works for you. And it will act as a booster shot to your life. And when you start to think about it that way, the classes in general become more useful and usable for us. I, that's, that's powerful. I practice a lot of that um, approach with my mom, my postpartum clients, <laughs> because they'll come to, you know, I, have, I run a postpartum return to exercise program and they'll say, oh, this is the only time I got the workout done. I haven't done anything mm-hmm. since last week. And there's this feeling of they let themselves down. And I said, you did not let yourself down. You are here. You are here and celebrate that. Because I think in our society of you, nothing is enough, you have to do three to four <laughs> times a week for yeah. it to count. We know that that's not always possible. And I love that you approach it from what the yoga you actually can do, that you actually do, is the best yoga for you, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think also, yeah, so like I could see how a someone that's getting back to exercise or working out or being in tune with her body would feel like, oh, it's the only time once a week. But here's the thing. If they come to you, if they come and they take a useful and usable class once a week and they feel their torso and they feel their posture and they feel better, it resonates. They get to take it home with them so that when they're, especially if it's postpartum, when they're leaning over their child, when they're picking their child up out of the crib or when they're just, you know, whatever that we're doing, we're all busy doing things. The exercise if they're good exercises, they stay with you. You hold yourself better. And in terms of yoga practice, you are a little bit calmer. And that resonates. And the good stuff that we do for our body, it stays with us. It's like the way I think about it is like if you light a candle in a room that's dark, it lights up the whole room. If you put one really good practice or class in, in your weekly routine, it changes the whole week. It really, really does. And, you know, I used to be, because I've been doing this for so many years, I used to be, oh, you got to lift weights three times a week, whatever it was I was saying in the gym when my hair was blonder and my outfits were smaller. But then in real life, I've been teaching in my local town since I've been here for about 15 years. And I had plenty of students that would come, but I would only teach once a week. And they would come once a week and I would see for myself how these people progressed over time where they became, they even consider themselves super advanced yoga practitioners from one good class a week. And these are, these are not like 12 year old acrobats. These are working people, you know, 30, 40, 50 and beyond. So it really does matter. And it matters the story that you bring to that. If you're like the whole time you're training once a week, like, oh, it's only once a week. Yeah, you're just going to feel terrible. But if you say, I'm taking this feeling home with me, it lasts for a long time. And that's the way it has to work. I love that. I often, um, I ask my clients, how do you feel at the end of the session? Mm -hmm. Like affirm to yourself, you know, and usually it's Mm -hmm. powerful. I feel capable. I feel strong. I'm proud of myself. You know, that feeling, that emotion, that pride, I totally agree. It carries forward with you and it can last and it makes a difference because what's the other, you know, other comparison, not doing it at all, right? It's like, you know, it's sometimes people get into that all or nothing mindset where, oh, what's the point if I'm only doing it once? And there is a point. And I love that you you bring that up. That's awesome. 
One of now, the things I say a lot in the class, and excuse me, was is that yeah. nothing is binary. Mm-hmm. And of course, in life, we could say that. But I, in terms of, let's just say I'm teaching a, a stretch for your thigh. I, we have all these progressions. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm not doing that because I'm super tight. It's like, okay, well, you can do it a little bit. You can do it a little bit more. You can do it a little bit more. And it's like, oh, exercising once a week, you could say, well, that, does, that means nothing. But it actually does. And it does add up. So nothing is binary. And we like to put ourselves in these, oh, I'm either exercising or I'm not, or I'm either advanced or I'm not, or I'm eating well or I'm not, which of course probably comes up a lot. No, it's all shades, all of it. And the stories that we tell ourselves, I love mm-hmm. that you brought that up, is we're so good at telling stories and believing them to be true about mm-hmm. ourselves. And so sometimes even just asking ourselves why we believe that and whether they're actually true and can we change the stories that we tell ourselves and what we believe about ourselves. I think now, it, com- it also comes a lot from the culture we come from. And when I say culture, yeah. I mean I mean gym culture, right? So if someone like comes from, you know, they come from like a boot camp, not to put down boot camps, whatever works for people is fine, um, mentality of got to bang this out every day, right? And so they have that already ingrained. And in the yoga world, there's a lot of, oh, I don't know, there was even a hashtag a couple of years ago, like yoga every damn day, excuse my language. And like, yeah, maybe, but who says? And have you really have you really experienced what one good class a week can be? And can you really you know, experience that instead of having all of these rules in your mind? And a lot of these, these things about yoga and exercise and nutrition, They've, they've been repeated so many times. We believe they are true, but they're but they're not. They've simply been repeated so many times. So they are like the ultimate fake news. But here's the thing. Some of us are so invested in believing that we can't even see what could be possible. That one good class a week, that you know, a couple of good meals a week, things like that can really make a difference. So we really need to think, where do these beliefs come from? Are they valid? Are they valid for us at this time and place? They might've been valid when you were 26 and you were living in an apartment, whatever, but are they valid now? And that takes a level of awareness, which we're all striving for. Yeah. We're all just drawing in awareness to our beliefs, I think yeah. alone can be powerful. Mm-hmm. And also who's benefiting from you having those beliefs, right? Ah, because it's not you. <laughs> it's it's not you that's going to feel better because you're not eating your three perfect meals a day and you're, <laughs> yeah. you know, exercising perfectly. It's someone else. And I think that we need to kind of take responsibility a little bit for ourselves yeah. because we yeah. – we're adults now. You know, when we're kids, sometimes we can say, oh, but you were fooled into believing this. Mm-hmm. But now we're adults. We have a choice to believe certain things. And we have a choice to say, you know what? I I don't want to partake in this just because I've been told my entire life that that's the rule. Yep. I create my own, own rules. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the whole aspect of practicing yoga on their own? How do you encourage students who, let's say, they want to practice in between classes, or mm-hmm. they want to incorporate it into their in, into their lives in other ways? What are some ways that you can do that? Well, I think a big challenge is that people people 
really want to come to a class and they want the energy of a class. And I can totally understand that because there is energy and wonderful things that happen in community. But, you know, for lots of reasons, that's hard to do all the time. So one of the things I encourage is to just stay connected with other people that are doing the same things that you are. And the way that I do that is that I just send out two emails a week to the members of my subscription service. And it's just like, okay, this is what we have, right? We have this class and that, this class, give this a try. And by the way, this old one, you know, from six months ago is really good for your hips. So I send out an email and it's just like a little reminder. And at the end of the email, and I know this sounds so small, I say, any yoga has helped me so much. I wanted to help you reach out with your questions. And they do. And they're like, oh, well, I only have 15 minutes today. What should I do? And as for people that are kind of just trying to add things on their own is to find community, not community mm -hmm. like looking up these big, these big conglomerate companies that might not see you, but even just an online person to check in with real people. And that's why I love what you're doing, because you're really telling the mom's story, you know, in your way. And people go, oh, well, you know, she, you know, she's really fit and she has two kids and she's telling the truth that, you know, she's getting in two good workouts a week. So find the others. And something like yoga, it really is an individual thing. When you're deeply breathing, you're looking for a connection inside. But this kind of autonomy, this kind of individual strength is best built in community. It just, it, that's why people get together in all different spaces to find that. So I think that getting a little bit of support is the, is the long answer to your short question. Support is, is huge. I think we, everything, everyone, um, I find that there's a certain attitude of like, Oh, what's wrong with me. And sometimes I'm like, you just oh, don't no. have the right support. Like you don't Even either this. at home, either like at home, some people don't have any support at home. And so they're yeah. not able to make space or time for their own needs. That's one conversation. But a lot of the times they just don't have maybe none of their friends, maybe none of their people that they know are also interested in those same activities. Exactly. Finding one other person who is, is maybe your accountability buddy, your yes. check-in buddy to, you know, someone to motivate you. I remember during the start of the pandemic, everyone was home and I was pregnant with my second and... I was like, I want to exercise. I'm a physiotherapist. I know yeah. better. But I was just, I think, stressed, anxious, so much unknown. And I had a friend who has two kids and she was stressed, anxious, <laughs> dealing with her own stuff. And we would make a 9 p.m. Zoom mm -hmm. hangout, yeah. do 20, 30 minutes of mobility and some light strength. And it was once every two weeks. It wasn't that often, but it made all the difference. We checked in yeah. with each other in between. And when both of us didn't do our exercises, we were like, there was no shame or judgment. No. It was just like, all right, like, let's try to do it tonight, you know? And it's community is powerful. One person yes. can be very powerful. And I love that you brought that up. I love that you do that in your emails too. Yeah. And and on my on my little channel, I had I installed this chat box. And again, it seems so small. But after a student takes a class, they can right away send the chat 
like send this little message to me. And one of my, one of my fabulous students, and she'll probably listen to this because she's a mom. She, um, she bought her mom, uh, she bought her mother a, a membership. And she's like, well, you know, if you have any questions, just just put it in the chat box to Winnie. And like the mom didn't know me, or she looked me up or whatever. She's like, really? Winnie will, will email me back? And I'm like, of course I will. And, <laughs> you know, because it, of course I will. It doesn't, you know, and like it, that connection is everything. And it doesn't have to be this big thing. It can be, like you said, an accountability um, buddy. In the beginning of the pandemic, many of my, well, I was still gathering all of my things together. My local students would meet on Zoom just to talk about, they didn't even like do yoga together. They just talked about, because all of my, all of my um, classes were, rec were recorded. They weren't live stream at all. They would just talk about what class, what recorded class they did because they wanted to find the others. Mm -hmm. And we need to remember that we can look for support outside of our immediate family because they're busy with other things. They can be someone that you meet in the park or you meet online or like, for instance, your group. But at the same hand, to give yourself a break because in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, we were worried about toilet paper, you know, <laughs> we, right? So, I know. I mean, and in my country, like you're in Canada, like we were, there was a lot more going on. So yeah. like there was a lot of things to worry about and you can't do it all at once and you need to give yourself some grace. And you need to give yourself some space and that some things, life is up and down. And the older you get, the more you see that. And you measure your practice, not in terms of, you know, how many, how many down dogs did I do today, but how many, how many years has my practice helped me? Mm. And when we start to think of it like that and give ourselves some great grace and, and perfect, like what you do is so important because when a woman, when someone first has a child, like in the, if they look at the advertisement, they're supposed to be doing all of this crazy stuff. And they need to know that when you have a child like this, there should be a period of time where you are just cocooned in. And, you know, the workforce doesn't support that. So we have to support that. Yeah. And we that's it. That. We, if we look to our healthcare systems, I'm in mm -hmm. Canada, so it is better, a lot yeah, better. Yes. Even still, we have a postpartum appointment at six weeks postpartum for the, yeah. for the month birthing per person. That's not enough. Most people have mental health challenges. Most people have either pain, leaking, some physical symptom. We're now bombarded by images of bounce back culture, you know, yes. fitting into our old genes again as if that's the priority. Meanwhile, there are moms that are struggling with depression, anxiety, mood disorders, sleep deprivation, and now feeling the pressure of having to look like they did before. And I think that we, we, when we stop seeing people like whole people, like all of yes. the facets of their li lives, and we're just like, okay, fitness, perfect. Three times a week, this is your, you know, this is what you need to do. For some, that might work because they have really excellent support, really good sleep, great mental health. Genetically, they're fortunate they bounced back but for most people that does that system does not work so i really find that even having those conversations asking someone how are you because most healthcare providers are like oh okay um your your scar looks healed here's your stamp you're of ready approval. To go. yeah you're ready to go for sexual activity for exercise and if you leak, well, you're mom now, so what do you expect, right? Yeah. There's there's so much room for improvement in how we serve people and how we support and serve our um, 
pregnant and postpartum people. And, and I, I, yeah, and I think just talking about this with real people and, and experts like you is super, super important. And, and a lot of things don't get talked about and they need to get talked about from both getting pregnant to through pregnancy afterwards. And just let me say that it was not me that got pregnant. It was my wife, Kim, but I was there right next to her. And I've had many students over the years and especially in my work, most of my students were all over 40 when they got pregnant. So mm. that was another aspect, but yes. absolutely. And, and in terms of fitness and yoga, I think that if we start to think of it as I'm doing this to make me feel better versus I'm doing this for an eight pack or, or yes. six pack or four pack. And I say that joking because I joke a lot if you can't tell, <gasps> but if we do it to feel better, and we make an appointment, whether that appointment is with a video, with a friend, or in our garage, or, or, or going for a walk, we have to prioritize that. And, you know, you'll have your partner or your family saying, oh, sweetheart, you don't need to do anything. You look fabulous, right? And they mean it. But you got, but the, the, the answer is, thank you. I'm going for a walk because it makes me feel better. I'm going to do a five-minute stretch routine that my doctor gave me because it makes me feel better. And because if you have those goals, those goals are, we need that right now. And then everything can come from that. Because you have to, if you start to do things because you feel better, the the control, the results are inside. Immediate so it takes too, longer right? to bounce it's... back because sometimes saggy skin, whatever, it takes longer. It takes and, longer. But, and that's all right. But the priority is our mental, and I use the term emotional, but I mean it the same way, health and how we feel. And that, and to know that we have tools and the tools could be, I talk about, well, you know, a twist makes you feel better, but the tools could be our support group, our conversations with other moms. You know, those, those you know, in the before times when there was a postpartum yoga class, it wasn't about the yoga. It was about the moms getting together talking. That's what it was. And that's what it always the community, was about. Right. And yes. it's, there is power in that and hearing somebody else share a story that you've had or that's similar to yours, or maybe completely mm-hmm. different and realizing, oh, wow, this person's gone through this. And mm-hmm. it's, it brings you perspective when you start getting out of yourself, like out of yourself in your own head and start communicating some of those things. And sometimes you're right. It's not your family that's going to be maybe most supportive or understanding. Sometimes it's perfect strangers because yeah, and that's okay. they don't, that's okay. They don't have that bias. They, they're not looking at you from a lens of, oh, but you never used to be like this. Why are you like this now? They just accept you as this is how you are right now because mm-hmm. this is when we've met. And I mm-hmm. think that there's, I try to really see people for who they are now instead of trying to say, you know, but you used to like this exercise. What happened? Because you're different now. You're you now. And let's accept that people are allowed to have different preferences and needs at different points of their lives. Yes. And can you, I want to know about your, you mentioned meditation and how it is a noun. Okay. And I want to, I want to know more about that. Okay. So the, the, you know, the, the reason why we do yoga practice is to feel better. And what happens a lot is people, people are stressed out and they're like, okay, I, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to start meditating. You know, I'm trying to meditate. I can't meditate. And they treat meditation as a verb, something they have to do. Right. And for me, 
takes a heck of a lot of pressure off. If, when you think about meditation as a noun, as a place you get to instead of something you do. And if you think of meditation as a noun, a place you get to, okay, what do I need to do to get to this place? I would might advise you to breathe deeply for five minutes in a supported yoga pose. You might advise someone to do a certain level, you know, certain little exercise, certain exercise routine, some strengtheners, some breath work. We're both correct. What we're going for is that for our students, our clients, our friends, our fellow humans to get to a place where they feel clarity instead of, oh my goodness, I'm so stressed out. I'm trying to meditate. Why do I keep thinking about burritos or whatever? Oh, instead, <laughs> I'm going to do this routine. And this routine, these tools that I've learned will help me get to a state of meditation. And a state mm. of meditation is clarity, focus, attention. So that's my take on meditation. And that's why I don't teach meditation, even though there's plenty of fabulous people that do. When I teach yoga practices, physical movements and breathing movements to get to a state of meditation because it takes a heck of a lot of pressure off. I, I've i never heard anybody describe it like that. And I really love the way you describe that because there is so much pressure, like another to do. Oh, you need to journal yes. and meditate. And you're right. like, oh and my then, gosh, how am I going to yeah. find the time? But <laughs> combining it with movement, combining yes. it with breath work that you're already doing for other benefits. Yes. To get and to a re- state. To get to a state of meditation. I love, I love that. And I feel like a lot of yoga people, yoga teachers, they feel a little pressure to teach this and teach that and, and, and you know, trainers too and doctors too. But figure out what really works. And I've been teaching long enough like that works for me. And I, and I also, and again, meditation, I have plenty of colleagues that do it and, and love it. But for me, the best way to get to meditation is through deep breath work, which is yes. not sitting there. And it, that's for me. And that takes a lot of pressure off a type A New York personality like me, because we're all sitting all day anyway. Why should we sit? You know, we're sitting enough. I also such a great point. We don't need to sit cross-legged for 20 minutes to meditate as as a verb, when we can move our bodies. And I, mm-hmm. I also really like breath work through movements. And I find that that's yes. one of the most powerful ways. Um, you know, I had a client yesterday. She was, you know, I'm a physiotherapist. I work virtually. And she was having, she just recovered. She's recovering from a back injury episode. And she's adding in deadlifts. And she was like, I could tell she was really tense. And I'm like, let's stop and let's just breathe. We'll do five mm-hmm. breaths in and out really focus on diaphragmatic expansion. That's all we did. We did the deadlifts again, pain-free. And what that pause allows, what that breath work Mm -hmm. allows is an awareness of your state. It allows your sympathetic nervous system to, Mm -hmm. you know, wind down a little bit. Sometimes we bring so much fear and apprehension into our movement. And that makes our pain worse. That makes our discomfort mm-hmm. in the stretch worse. If you know that pigeon is hard for you, you're bringing into that, you know, that story you're bringing into that pose is, ooh, this is hard. But if you take that moment to pause and say, you know what, I'm going to draw my attention to something else that I can control. I'm going to let myself go into this with a bit more openness instead of mm-hmm. that restricted 
attitude, like it's already going to be so hard. I find that people really, um, really see the benefit. And I love that that is also meditation. That's a, that's a state out of of awareness. The breath is the quickest way to get your attention. Because if we were to sit here, like if some, like if someone is panicking and we could do try this with a child too, but very simply, if we ask them to, we ask ourselves to count for inhale for four, exhale for four. While we're doing that, we, and we're counting, we cannot think of anything else. You've got to count. And so that is like the quickest way to get your own attention. Because everything else, we could theoretically multitask. Like we could do a, a split while we're watching TV. You know, I mean, the first time I was ever in a gym, like 20 years ago, and I saw a TV, I was amazed. Like, oh my goodness, people are watching TV while they're exercising, which is fine now. But if you really want to get your attention, focus on your breath. And, and, this, and to say focus on your breath can stress someone out. So what you do, and this is just a little tip for kids, when your kids get a little older, because I, I do this to, with my daughter all the time, is count. Mm. and inhale for four or if it's someone that's stronger six because while we're doing that just for that you know few seconds you cannot think about taxes the news lunch all you can do is listen to the count and that is very good practice so that when we go out into our day and we have all of these images and things flashing around trying to distract us we remember that we are in control of our attention that we can make a choice and it's hard to do but for all of us. Um, we've been teaching my daughter, my daughter's three and a half, and we've been teaching her inhale to like smell like smell a flower. Love it. And exhale to blow out a candle. And sometimes she's not interested. Beautiful. And it's usually quick. It's like a and but that's okay because it allows it's distracting her from the you know, the potential being upset that her brother took her toy or sure. that she had a rough day at daycare and she doesn't know how to express it. So mm-hmm. let's focus on something like breath. And it is, it's hard. It, it does mm-hmm. take work, but I feel like it's something that the more you practice, the better you get at getting to that state rather than getting to the state of like, you know, react emotional yeah. overhaul yeah. where you're just feeling like you're out of control. Because we don't need to add more anxiety to our lives. There's already nope. things going on. We're still in a pandemic. I don't know how it is where you are, but things are still still bad here, yeah. you know? So um, it's hard. And I want to know more about you and um, your daughter. You mentioned okay. you have a daughter who is 10. Right. So she's 10 and she has two moms and – she calls Kim, my wife, Mama, and she's Kim's biological daughter, and she calls me Ima, and Ima means mother in Hebrew. And she's still young enough that when she she knows that she came from Kim's body and that she came from my heart, and she's going to be, I know, you know, we'll tell so her as, as she goes older, total truth, we're total truth tellers um, in our house so we have you know i guess according to most a non-traditional family and it's absolutely fabulous also i guess what also is non-traditional maybe for your listeners is um more kind of like an older mom so morgan was born when i was 45 um 
and Kim was 40s. And so now I'm 56, and, and which means that like I got to like brace for her teenage years when I'm 60. So the, why do you think I do so much yoga? So it's <laughs> you absolutely, <laughs> absolutely fabulous being a mom. Absolutely fabulous. And being a non-traditional family, I think mm-hmm. that we – first of all, I think we see more and more of that now. And yes, absolutely. It's, especially – I don't know if you're in a city now. You were in New York. I don't know where you are now. Oh, well, in our lives, really, like like I'm using the terms non-traditional, but in our lives, we, we live in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's, okay, it's so. no big thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Same with Toronto. Um, it's a big city. You know, it's – nobody would bat an yeah. eye. Yeah. No, but I, I I think it's important though because I I'm, I work on an international level and I do I like to use the term talk about what an ima is which is basically you know mother in Hebrew and to talk about it and to put a face on it and I think that it's really important to put a face on things and not just now but all the time for those people that don't have the privilege that I have to just be mm-hmm. able to live the life that we do and for our daughter it's no big thing I mean she has friends with two moms. And it was so funny. I teach yoga to her grade. And I always have. And a couple of years ago, we were talking right before Thanksgiving. And I said something, what we're grateful grateful for. And I said something like, oh, I'm so grateful that Morgan's other mom is going to make cook. And when the little boy said, what? There's another mom. Because he only had seen me because I'm the one that does the drop off. And I was like, yeah, she has two moms. And then he's like, she can't have two moms. And then the little boy next to him. So these are third graders, right? The little boy next to him elbows him. Of course he can have two moms. You could have two dads. What, what's wrong with you? So this is like <laughs> no big thing. Yeah. And we're lucky that we have that kind of privilege where we live. Yeah. And where we, you know, where you live, the time, the year that it is, mm-hmm. um, there's so much time and change that has needed to happen to get to here. And I think that it will continue to change that way so that all families, regardless of two moms, two dads, one mom, three dads, you know, whatever, grandma, grandma, and also non-binary people who are raising Mm -hmm. families. I think, you know, we're, my kids are so young, so I'm starting to have these conversations young where I'm just like, oh, who who drops that kid off? Mm -hmm. Oh, I think it's the daddy, or could it be, you know, like there's yeah. just possibilities, not always one mom and one dad. Yeah. And people, and kids just, are open. Kids are naturally oh, yeah. receptive and open to those things. And I think when you're raised in an environment of openness and um, of learning, of constant mm-hmm. open to growth, I think that kids yeah. will be like that too. There's a great song from the musical South Pacific, very old song, and it's called You Got to Be Carefully Taught. And it's it's about that we learn things from our parents, carefully taught, and who to you know, who who to hate just because they look different than you. And it's a very, very old song, but still so appropriate. And I think so much of it comes from the energies of the parents and the attitudes of the parents. And the kids are like, whatever, you know, this like this kid wants to change their name, you know, then that's all fine. And we're all in this together and we're all learning as we go. And we're all learning how to just see each other in in all our beautiful and epic humanity. And what is it like, now you mentioned briefly that you teach kids yoga as well. And what is that like? Because very different working with kids than with adults. Yeah. So I I don't teach kids yoga, even though I, I teach my daughter's 
class. So I, so I specialize in grownups. I love teaching grownups. That is what my yoga studio, my online subscription is. But I teach my daughter's class and I have been teaching them since kindergarten. And it's absolutely wonderful. And it's different than other kids yoga. Like I don't really have this old like music and games, which is when you're really young, like if a kid was three, it would be different. But we're really just teaching self-regulation and also how to participate. So every child gets to make up a yoga pose. And I know that sounds really crazy, but it's been a lot of fun. So we have, right. So what it does is like, we have like a superhero series. So someone will just like, will shout out Superman. And because I love this, I could just make up Superman. And if any yoga teachers are listening, it's kind of like, it's kind of like warrior three with your arms out. And, and then the kids remember it. And so they get to participate in that. And then afterwards, what we do is we go around the room and they say one word of how they feel. And it could be something like ocean, calm, focused, and it's all okay. And what I find so wonderful about kids yoga, or the kids, you know, I teach her grades, so like now I'm teaching fourth and fifth grade yoga, and next year I'll teach sixth grade yoga, is that the kids are more open than grownups. You ask a kid to close their eyes and breathe, they'll do it. Sometimes with grownups, especially if they're just starting, it's stressful for them. But a kid will just try it. And that is, I think, the biggest difference. Wow. And teaching them to that no matter what they look like or how flexible they are, that they can participate, that they get to be a part of it. Because I think that there's, I remember in um, gym class, so I grew up in India until I was, I moved to Canada when I was 10. And girls raised in India are, I mean, I'm generalizing, but typically it's like dance and music, not Mm -hmm. necessarily sports. So when I came here, I was like in gym class with boys and girls. And there were sports and I didn't learn how to, I mean, I played with balls and rackets and stuff, but I didn't learn how to play volleyball or mm-hmm. uh, soccer as a game. I, I knew about them, but I didn't really play them. So I was learning all this for the first time. And there was definitely an element of, you don't know how to play. You're not welcome, right? Like you Whoa. don't, you, you don't already know how to do this. And fortunately I'm fairly athletic and I pick things up quickly, but not all kids do. And some kids- yeah let's say they're new immigrants and they're overweight, there's this judgment passed Mm -hmm. on that you're not going to be good on our team. And I think that yoga is one of those things that literally is for everyone, that everyone can do in in some way or other. It doesn't have to look like those Instagram worthy, upside down, triple, you know, you know, it can look (laughs) the way it does for you. Everyone participates. And one of the things I say to to grownups all the time, is that I? There's no enlightenment at the end of the pose, mm. and like the deepest backbend does not make you enlightened. I know because I wish because I could, you know, at one time I probably could do it. And I say that to the I said that to the kids yesterday too. One of the little girls was were doing a split, and that's absolutely absolutely fine. She's just like doing something, and I was like, but there's no enlightenment there. And we think there is. We think that a person that can do, you know, can wrap their legs around the head might be more evolved and that is a myth they can they can wrap their legs around the head and that might have taken some discipline and it might have been a lot of fun for them to learn that but that has nothing to do with noticing yourself 
paying attention. Because if that was true, the contortionists in Cirque du Soleil would be advanced yogis. They're advanced contortionists and they're advanced gymnasts, and that's absolutely fabulous. Mm. But that's not what we're talking about here. Right. At all. There's no, you know, you're not more enlightened if you can do something. You simply either can do it or you were lucky enough with the genetics. And, you know, I, I laugh a lot because over the years, I've technically been able to do a lot of poses and I keep wishing for that enlightenment, but it's not there. But what <laughs> is, you know, and I think that everyone is welcome. And also as teachers and as parents, let's remember that everything needs to be individualized right? For instance, learning how to read. Some kids, and as, as all of your listeners will figure out, some kids read young, some kids read older, some kids would rather play sports, but everyone will probably be able to figure out how to read. And everyone's at their own pace. And if you think of yoga as a tool to simply feel better, all of the pressure about, you know, poses and flexibility and strength get taken away. If you think about sports in school, and this is a little bit more difficult as a way for kids to participate and to learn how to function in a group as a team, then the pressure, at least when they're little, goes off. And that's what we need to be encouraging as parents, as coaches and teachers, that everyone participates, everyone feels welcome. And then later on, sure, they can specialize. You know, the girls that are really good at soccer, she, they can play soccer, mm-hmm. but not in first grade. I think that that is so true. And I found, I was very, um, what's the word? Intro, I was very self-aware even at a young age. Yeah. Uh, and partly it's interesting because I was raised with, my dad practiced yoga and um, it was common. It was commonly yeah. practiced. But it's very different yoga than, you know, what you would traditionally mm-hmm. see in a class here where it's like do a million poses really fast, go through, like it was slow. It was intentional. Mm-hmm. And so – I remember coming here and thinking, this is really strange that you don't include everybody. The teacher mm-hmm. is kind of just like, all right, play volleyball. And yeah. then you have the kids who don't know any of the skills who are like sequestered by themselves trying to learn who aren't included with everybody else. And mm-hmm. I never took it personally because I think I was very self-aware of like what is happening. And I, and I knew that it was just like, okay, I didn't learn these skills. But then mm-hmm. I remember I had a good friend who had moved to Canada around the same time, and she was from Romania, different country, and she was overweight. And she didn't know the skills either, but she didn't pick them up as quickly as I did. And there was a def- like definite exclusion by, by the kids, by even the teacher, is the lack of like awareness of the intention for this sport right now is to get everybody moving, to ha- help everyone have fun and to include everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you create an environment in your practice, in your subscription, the environment that you create for people kind of yes. sets the stage, right? You're not creating yes. an environment of pressure and you need to do this, this, and this. You're creating an environment of like, let's get curious. Let's, focus our awareness and attention on ourselves. And I love that you bring that to your practice. And you also, it sounds like you bring that to your, your motherhood and teaching kids. You're bringing that to multiple areas of your life. Yeah. And and to not, and and I think that all comes from, especially with the children and the kids and sports, like what is the goal? Mm -hmm. So for instance, my daughter is in this competitive soccer team right now. 
And, but that's different than like the level before, which is when, which is called AYSO and like everyone plays. And what happens if the coach does not, is not aware, like the, the coach, your volleyball coach, coach was, is that he'll constantly play the good players mm-hmm. and he'll never play the kids that need to learn. And what someone needs to say is this is not the Olympics. This is not the world you know, championships. This is where they learn how to play so they can get competitive if they want. And then you get to choose. But in a, in a school situation, it's about everyone learning how to play. And that comes from the teacher. Yes. You know, and it's so for here's a great example. If you're learning how to play, and again, soccer is not my thing. You should speak to my wife. She's the soccer person. But let's just say someone is never passing the ball and always gets the goal in, let's say, second grade soccer. And the coach or the teacher applauds them. That person actually was supposed to pass and not get the goal in. But the coach is like, wants to impress the next coach on the schoolyard. Most coaches aren't like this. There's like not that many like this. And forget that the goal was to learn how to pass. The goal is teamwork. So the goal is exactly. Yeah. And as for yoga, like you want to make you it, you know, what is the goal of the class? And so I'm very, very clear if what kind of class it is and and who it's for. And this way, the right, you know, you'll feel welcome if you're, if you could, you know, it depends on the level. So that it's really important for us as teachers to, to talk to our students, to see what is needed and to make sure everyone that is coming feels welcome. And here's a really special word, seen, even mm-hmm. in the online space, can you see your students, your person, who they are as a human, you know, because on paper, oh, this person is five foot three and is X amount of pounds. That doesn't mean anything. You need to see that person in all of their humanity, and then we can get to work. I that is so powerful. Seeing people for who they are in their humanity, because isn't that what we want? We want people to see us. We want people yes. to see us as humans. We want people to see us as who we are. And that our time is, you know, I always think about time as our time is limited. We want to spend yes. our time in environments with people doing things that we're passionate about and also where we feel seen. We've yes. spent so much time, and I often think about this, we don't select which school we go to necessarily, right? We, we, we're raised in families. We don't get to pick our parents. We're raised in certain communities. But when you're an adult, you get to choose for the most part, whether you want to participate in yoga, whether you want to go join that soccer club, whether you mm-hmm. want to join a baking class. And I think that we need to really feel that we're seen as a full human. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I talked to with my postpartum moms is we never compare amongst each other, even though we're all postpartum, because we're all different. We all have different needs. We all have different beginnings. Yeah, you all brought something different to the, you bring something different to the table. Exactly. You know, yeah. like even if I teach, like I taught an in-person class a couple of weeks ago and I said, everyone, everyone brought their own bridge pose. Do the bridge pose you brought and, and we'll see it. Like what, what bridge pose and the bridge pose you brought today. And I'm talking, these are people that know what I'm, what a bridge pose is, right? Like, let's take a look at it. It's a great bridge. Now the idea, the goal of a bridge is to get you from one place to another. Let's look at that bridge and make sure it can get you back. Wow. Yeah. And this is especially important because I know who I know who listens to this fabulous podcast that the parents hear this for their kids because you want your kids seen. 
because you're only looking at test scores. Oh, that's not enough. A kid needs to be seen who they are. And that's a hard one. And that's something we need to work on as parents and an education system. But we want to be, we want to know that our children are seen by their teachers. And the way that we start is by seeing them, like really seeing them and not just as, oh, you failed math or you didn't. Or, oh, you run faster, you're not. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, and labeling them. Like, I think sometimes we're so quick at categorizing people, but we label kids. You're shy. You're, you're noisy. Mm-hmm. You're disruptive. And I think removing the labels. And I honestly, yes. I see this already in the daycare system. Like my kids yeah. are young and they're already being labeled. And there's mm-hmm. conversations like, okay, how can we support our children to feel seen, to feel safe, mm-hmm. to feel loved, even if this doesn't fit your idea of how a kid should behave? You know, following yes. all the instructions, be social, be, be easy, easy going. And I'm like, not everybody has the same personality. Not everybody it has evolves. the same needs and it evolves. And I think, it does evolve. I think when people in general, kids or adults, when they're in an environment where they feel safe and seen, they thrive. Their yes. best self comes out. If they're feeling what- judged, they're feeling... Yeah, judge like, ooh, that's not a good enough yoga pose or that's not a good enough headstand. Let's perfect, you know, that perfection mentality of like we can still progress and improve without seeking, like you said, enlightenment of like as if we get to that perfect handstand and boom, you know, stars go off and we're like the answers to life are happening. Nothing happens, I'm telling you. (laughs) But like, but also I think, I think that we believe the labels that someone in authority has given us. Ah. So, so I teach quite a few people that are over 50 and they come to me or they came to me and they would say, well, you know, I I have, I have a bad, whatever. I have a bad back or I have a bad shoulder or I'm really tight. And because someone that didn't, didn't even, they just saw them in a class. They gave them all their power to label it. And, it, you know, it could be true that their shoulder has some things going on. But what is the language that we're going to put on that shoulder? How about this? I have a shoulder that I need to warm up a little bit more. Or I have a shoulder that I'm going to learn a little bit more exercises to, to feel better, you know. So a lot of it is like what we say, the words are powerful. And the same exact thing, like, I'm, I'm do like for instance, I'm doing this to feel better versus I'm doing this to lose weight or whatever. Language is powerful, and we need to think about things that we call ourselves and label ourselves. Even something as simple as, "Oh, I'm tight." Why? Why do you think you're tight? Because my teacher told you you're tight, and I'm like, "You're tight today." <laughs> well, you're tight this year, but like that is not like the end, right? Oh, I'm not good at. <laughs> I'm not good at backbends. I'm not good at aerobics. I'm not good at keeping a journal. I'm not good at um, planning a meal. You're not good yet if, if you want to change that because you can. And especially as a parent, you see that you you wind up being able to do things you never thought you could. I'm not a patient <laughs> person, right? Well, I'm, sis- I'm sister- not either. And I will tell you, yeah. wow, my patience yeah, is so much better now than it was four years ago. Yes. And people can grow and people can change and people can evolve. And I think so much of the labels we put on ourselves, like I'm not flexible. How about I'm not flexible today or I'm not flexible yet. 
or you know and it's so powerful but the only way it's powerful is if we repeat it and we use it and we really believe it and that comes back to what we started talking about which was community and find the people that are interested in you know feeling better learning about themselves paying more attention living you know i don't like to use the word enlightened because it's so cliched but how about more of an internal life where you look for validation within yourself and the connections that you have and not whether it's the followers you have or the money you have yes. or whatever it is that sometimes if that's lovely if that works for you but it's kind of it has no future because there's always more but the connections matter and family matters and knowing just having this inner life which we can get through so many useful tools matters i um i read what you just said reminded me of this post that I read about, you know, we are more than our flowers. We're also our roots, right? Yes. So flowers are what people see and maybe are attracted to the beauty, the followers, the, you know, the flashy mm. things. And our roots are so much deeper and more than that. And I think I've been thinking about this a lot is when you build a community where people are, um, supported to show themselves in their roots. They don't have to show up with their best selves. They don't have to show up happy to every class. They don't have to mm -hmm. show up excited. They they show up and in their whole self. Because I think that's another pressure. One of the one of my uh, clients actually made this comment and she's like, "I'm so it's so nice to not feel judged when I show up and I'm not excited to show up." I'm like, "I wouldn't judge you." I'm like, "I know that you want to do this because you're wise, you want to feel better." But I know that you're going to start feeling better as soon as you start actually moving. You're not going to feel better when you just are waiting to start moving, that anticipation. Sometimes yes. you're tired, you're exhausted, and you're like, I don't want to do anything. But you know that moving for 10 minutes is going to make you feel better. So you start mm -hmm. doing it and you start experiencing that change. But I don't, I don't put the pressure and I don't like forcing people to want to feel a certain way coming into it because our whole humanity is – not just the flowers, it's the roots too. And our roots are sometimes happy and our roots are sometimes, you know, seeking something or, or they're, ha you know, they're, it's the whole picture, right? It's we're we're deeper than just our outward appearances. And I think that we need to make, that you make space for that in your practice mm -hmm. by allowing people to feel seen and to really question their beliefs and stories about themselves and the language that they're using to describe themselves. And I so resonate with all of that. I wanted to know about you and your, would this be your third book then? Yes. So you're, so I'm excited so to first, hear about this. Okay. So the first two books were exercise books, right? So they were, the first one was called Body Change and it was like a 21 day program how to change your body. And the second one was lean long and strong, which was really focused on how to use weights at home to be lean long and strong. But those were a long time ago. And I wanted to do something different because I feel like teaching exercise and yoga can be done best via video. So I'm not really, my focus right now is not on teaching things through pictures in a book, but what a book can do is act as a collection of notes that people can read and my next book is a collection of notes to my students when I say my students it's like anyone that wants anyone. to practice 
yoga. The theme of the book, or the, the first note, is called Ariandi's Thread. And Ariandi is a character from Greek mythology. And what does Greek mythology have to do with yoga? Well, in have you ever heard of the labyrinth or the maze? What it is, it it was a maze built by King Minos to house a monster called the Minotaur. And it's a long story about how the monster came to be, and that's like a whole thing. But imagine that there is a maze at the bottom of a castle with a big monster in it. And all of these princes would come to try and kill the monster, and they would always get eaten by the monster and never find their way out. Well, Ariandi was the daughter of the king. And one year, a prince named Prince Theseus came, and he was skilled enough to kill the Minotaur. She knew he was, but he wasn't skilled enough to find his way out of the maze. And she really loved this guy, and she didn't want to, like, sacrifice her new boyfriend to the monster. So she gave him a thread, and she said, tie the thread to the beginning of the maze, work your way in, kill the monster, because I know you can, and then follow the thread to come home to me, which he did. And there's more to that story, but I'm talking about yoga. Well, your yoga practice is like the thread that Ariandi gave Theseus. It is a place to kind of go out and explore into the maze, into the labyrinth of your life, into all its possibilities, into the, its great epic journey. But that thread is also your practice, your yoga practice can also be used to find your way home. So use your yoga practice, whether it's every day, every week, every once in a while, to work your way out into figuring out your life and use it also as a tool to find your way home. So that's the main note that the collection of notes is built on. And the rest of it are just all is all about how to practice yoga at home. That sounds so wonderful. The connection of coming back home, I think is yes. really, really powerful. We're not Usually trying to practice. change ourselves. Yes. We're no. trying to come back home to us. Yes. And that's a really powerful you, um, analogy and story. I didn't know about that. I know who the Minotaur yeah. is, but I didn't know yes. that labyrinth story. So yes. Um, I'm and excited it's just to, a metaphor. Yeah. It's a metaphor. It's, just a yeah. metaphor. it's all a metaphor. Like your practice is a tool to find your way out into the epic, you know, your life. And, 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 but you're also going to use it to lead your way home. And, it, and everything is a, is a metaphor because that's how we understand things. That's how we explain things. That's how it resonates into our life. Like if someone that's a golf player comes to you, you could talk about the exercises that you do, but also how it would resonate or work or serve her golf game. And it's all about finding ways to connect the dots for someone else so that it, it brings meaning to their own life. Whether it's you and I can talk about parenting and compare, compare it to the practice of yoga. Shantae can talk about volleyball and compare it to her, the business skills that she teaches everybody. When you and I, there's a whole series of notes in, in Ariandi's thread about baking. Is it really about baking? Lordy, no, I can't bake. But it's about the recipes that we have, that we know work, is there a series of poses that we know works? And, and if we are baking a cake and our oven breaks, do we know how to adapt the recipe for a different mm -hmm. oven? Can you see the analogy for parenting, for exercise, for yoga, for emotional health, for dealing 
right? So that's what it's about. And find, and it's all about connecting our stories with our lives. When I first heard you speak about connecting the the dots, mm-hmm. that really spoke to me. I'm a I'm a I love analogies. I love mm-hmm. relating experiences it's because it's all, and it helps people. I I love that you said that too. It helps people see themselves. They kind of relate mm-hmm. to it better when it's personalized to them versus a generic, oh, this is how the core works and this is how this works. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, how does this apply to me in my life? And I, I love that. Connection is a very powerful word. When we feel, mm-hmm. when we can make connections, we can help people make connections. There's a lot of power in that. Connections between their life and what's the situation, the connection between their practice and the exercises mm-hmm. they're doing and how it's actually helping them like I love um, the self-regulation bit that you're talking about too, because mm-hmm. we talk about that with breath work. I'm like, if you're really stressed, your day is gone to shit. You're like, what am I doing? What is it that can help you feel joy? Mm-hmm. That can help you feel grounded? That can help you feel in control a little bit? That mm-hmm. can boost your mood and make you feel better. And I know for me, it's exercise. It's turning on a song I love and dancing. It's lifting some weights, doing 20 squats and everyone has their own thing. I'm like, pick your favorite exercise and do that when you're, when you're upset. And it's just a quick way to bring it back to your body, bring it back to your breath. And it's, it's that self-awareness, awareness piece. And I think that we all have that. I think we all have stressors in our lives. We all go through these challenging experiences and knowing that we're never alone in that, that somebody, your friend over there is doing this version of their yoga practice to help them Mm -hmm. stay grounded. And you're doing maybe a a different version, but you're both doing something that is helpful for you in, in, in that moment. I think it's powerful. I always find that there's power in not feeling alone because none of us are ever truly alone in our experiences. We may be having a very unique experience that nobody else we know has had, but somebody out there has had a very similar experience. You're never alone. And I love that your yoga really builds that community and connection within ourselves, but also amongst each other, it seems. Your book is coming out next Tell me a little bit about that book club. Oh, so it's not ready yet. So I've been working on all the notes and the and I just am having a ball with it. But when it does come out, we are going to have a book club. And what the book club will be is that we will we will discuss it, there, there we go in community. So for example, we will discuss one of the notes because it's a collection of notes. So for instance, let's say we're just talking about building a recipe. Right. So we're not talking about baking bread, even though that sounds fabulous. We're talking about building a recipe for for anxiety or building a recipe for waking up or building a recipe for what to do before Thanksgiving with the in-laws, which is something we have in this country. Um, And we will have a community about that. So I do have a sign up on my website for that book club, because I think that one of the things that we have that we did not have before is that we can connect and discuss that we, you know, in a way that we could not before, and that will benefit all of us. It will help us all. How can we integrate this idea? And there's going to be a lot of questions called follow the thread in the book. How can we follow the thread into our own lives? 
And so for someone, it might be, how can I follow the thread as I'm practicing with my five-year-old? And another one, could, how can I make this into a deeper, deeper way that I connect with the divine? But this is a way that we can talk about it because that's really what we, the technology that we have now, let's use it to our advantage so that it works for us. This sounds incredible. Our, I will share the link to your okay. newsletter. And if you yes. have a link for the book club waitlist I do. already, I will send I would, that to you. Yeah. Yes, I will share that with uh, with my show notes because that sounds incredible. I always think that with certain types of books, reading it alone is powerful, but communi- with mm-hmm. that community discussing it, is that's where the true change and the true yes. um, experience of reading the book. Yes, yes. That's how you can take that information, which information is, is wonderful, but information is plentiful. How can we make, yeah. take that information and integrate it so it is useful and usable for our lives right now? Love yeah. that. I'm so excited for you and excited to see this book come out. Um, can you tell me, I have a few final thoughts, questions okay. about you, even though we've talked about you for the past hour, but these are more personal. Um, tell me about what you like to do for yourself every single day. Give me three things that you like to do for yourself for self-care. Every day I practice. Every day I, I come out into my backyard and, it, and it's totally dark outside. I put on my heat the heater. I run back in, I feed the cat. I come back and I practice every single day. It is my, the way that I've always calmed down and my form of prayer. So that's number, absolutely positively number one. Second thing I do every day or most days is I write, not like this big, I, you know, I'm writing a big thing, but I take a thought that I have saved. And this is something that I've discussed before, something I've collected. And it could be as simple as an idea that came to me while I was walking the dog or something about, you know, education in the United States, right? And I write about it. And because I really do live my work, it usually comes back to yoga practice. It's, it could be like, oh, this is something I noticed about my child's school and I do that and I do that every day and I do that not to be a prolific writer but to for mental exercise mental creativity which I think we all need in some way not necessarily writing some of us do it in other ways but I do that every day and it's probably that in my own yoga practice has probably been the number one thing for my mental and emotional health and number three I simply look at my look at my wife and daughter as they are. And I got to say, just seeing seeing them brightens my day every day. Like, like, yeah. And I just, just their beauty, you know, and just the way that they are. And I just feel very grateful that I have a family. That is, that's really Yeah, and it's true. If Kim hears this, I don't know if she'll hear this, but like my wife, she'll roll her eyes, but like, yeah, like, yeah, I just, living with these incredible humans and being able to figure things out as we go. And all of us, as we progress through the years, um, figuring this out together. I heard something, someone, Mary Van Geffen, who came on my podcast, she's a parenting coach. And she had mm. suggested once a day, look at your child Just and really them. Yes. see them. And that was revolutionary for me because we're so used to going and doing. Yes. And it really especially as like, you know, type A and like, go, go, go. It really forced me to just say, 
let me just look at you and your beauty yes. and your awe and what are you looking at? Oh, you're looking at the the cloud that's passing by. Mm -hmm. I would have missed that because my head would have been in my phone doing something. Yeah. And I love that you make that as part yeah. of your daily yes. daily practice. Include your wife too, because it's not just yeah. about the kids. It's about the yeah, I mean, people in our families. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just grateful. Grateful, grateful. Amazing. And can you tell me something that um, you're listening to right now? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you read other books? What are you reading or listening to right now? I, I could say, and I read, I, I knew you were going to, you might've asked that question. And I got to say my favorite podcast, um, and I don't listen to a lot, is this podcast called The Robcast. And it is a pod, podcast by Rob Bell, who was a pastor and now I guess you can call him, I, I don't like this word, but like an inspirational speaker, but he's not like that. He's, he, he, was a, he was a pastor and he wrote a book many, many years ago called Love Wins. And I'm just, just really, really quick. And I love your readers just to check him out. He's just this brilliant connect the dots kind of thing. And it is from a Christian perspective, but as a Jewish lesbian, I can totally recommend it. So, okay. <laughs> um, so Rob Bell, Rob Bell was a pastor, an evangelical pastor in Michigan. And there was an art show going on and there was a picture of Gandhi right up on the, the for sale. Someone had painted the picture and someone came up to him and he said, Oh man, I don't know why a picture of Gandhi's here. He's going to go, go to hell. And I'm sorry to go into religion on your podcast. Um, and Rob Bell, who was a pastor said, what? This is like Gandhi. And he go, yeah, but he doesn't believe what we believe. So Rob mm -hmm. Bell was appalled and he wrote a book called love wins that at the end, it's really not like, what Bible you read, but were you a good person? And if you tell, say someone's going to hell because they don't believe in your God, like there's something wrong with you. I'm paraphrasing. Mm. But that's how he became famous many years ago. Um, and then he wrote a couple more books and he was on Oprah and he's really well known, but he has a podcast called Robcast. And that is what I listen to. But I would say that's the only one I listen to um, all the time. And it just is food for thought. And it's lots of metaphors. Metaphors between you know, the Bible and, and now and, you know, what's going on in the news and what was going on in the news long ago. And it's definitely not, I don't mean it to sound like a religion thing, but it's really food for thought. And I think that we all could use our minds stretched a little bit. And it sounds like it's not, you don't have to be a Christian to understand no. the stories and the metaphors. It sounds like it's something Absolutely that not. anyone can Absolutely relate not. to. Yes. Very cool. But but what he does, and he does a lot of things like contextual, like for example, you know, you read about this story of, you know, a million years ago of some king that conquered some country and then he took the he took the captured woman as his wife, right? So you could say, Oh my goodness, the guy was horrible towards women. Can you believe he he married this woman? But in historical context, this king married the woman. So it was actually like the highest form of like treating a woman, a woman well in those days. It's right. So I, yeah, it's, it's a different a context to now. Exactly. And that's mm -hmm. what we need to do with all of these teachings contextual instead of just being like, Oh, that's wrong. What context was that written in? And can we apply that now to these days? So just things like that. And I guess that has nothing really to do with, with yoga and parenting and life, but it actually does because everything as we discussed is connected. And I think that it's kind of nice to have something that's not 
always related to those buckets too, because mm -hmm. there's so much we can learn from stretching our minds outside mm -hmm. of like only for me, you know, only listening to moms or only listening to yeah. physiotherapy or fitness type of, um, I learn a lot from just people, people who are, their thoughts really, yeah. you know, the way they but think I and the way they put ideas together and their stories. I love listening to people's stories and um, there's so much that we can learn from that. So I will check that out. It's called yes. The Rob Cast. The Rob Cast. And it's yeah. Rob Bell. Rob he's, a, Bell. he's an author. Yeah. <clears throat> Very cool. And can you tell me something that you've been passionate about recently? Making sure that people know that I, I, it sounds like a cliche, but like, I really want people to feel less guilty about not practicing a lot of yoga. And that is where that one good class a week really does help. And to remember for yourself how good yoga makes you feel. And, and this is talking to students, former students and teachers that have been struggling with getting back to practice. That, because I know, and I, I, have nothing, I have no agenda here, nothing to sell. Like yoga more than anything has helped me in my life. All of my perspectives, all of everything. And I really want that for other people if that works for them. So I want to encourage people to remember that a good yoga class makes them feel better. And whatever that happens to be, whether that is even doing a YouTube video or going out on the beach and doing like the tree pose that your daughter learned in their yoga class, but to take the time to get a little bit of time for yourself. I'm really, really passionate about that because I know how much it's helped me. And not just like, oh, I tried this thing for six days or six weeks, or I went on a yoga retreat, like decades and that's really what I want to leave my students with. That's what I want to leave everyone with, to have something that you know helps you feel better, that gives you a little bit of control, that gives you a little bit of a door into your inner life. And I want that for everyone, whatever variation or permutation that takes. That's amazing. It's yoga it is something is so that's true. special to me too, because I discovered it once myself when I started going to yoga classes when I had broken up with a boyfriend and I was devastated and I was like someone had suggested it kind of similarly like try yoga yeah. class it'll help yeah, you, yeah yeah and I remember that it was the best thing for my mental and emotional and physical health back then and I remember have gone back to it at multiple points in my life. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's this, the other thing is sometimes I have a friend right now who's a yoga instructor and she feels guilty because she hasn't been practicing it. It's not gone anywhere. You know, it's, yeah. you can, there's life will ebb and flow. And I think that I love your perspective of step back and look at it in terms of years or decades mm -hmm. instead of yeah, absolutely. Know, today, this week, or I, I you know, I failed because I didn't do it right now. Remove that guilt. Yes. And I think you're doing a fantastic, you do fantastic work with your posts on your social, even so on social media, you can tell that the, the way you think and the way you mm -hmm. communicate with your, your people is so powerful and it removes that feeling of guilt and removes yeah. that feeling of, I need to do this for my, like to yeah. look a certain way. And it goes back yeah. to the feeling. It's, it's there to remind you like all what I'm trying, what I, 
I think yoga social media is a good tool for is to spark a reminder or to light a flame or to turn on a light bulb. So not necessarily to go on whatever, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, or whatever, to learn a yoga pose, even though there are plenty of useful people doing that. It's not my thing, but just to remind you that you have a tool or there is a tool that you can investigate that you can to feel better. Mm. Very, very powerful, powerful reminders too. Um, giving people back control over their days. Mm-hmm. And can you tell me how is the best way for people to connect with you? Is it through social media? Is it through? Okay. Absolutely. Positively. You can reach out to me through my website, which is winnielingavig.com. Drop me a note, reach out to the chat books. Absolutely. I am on social media. I am mostly on Instagram and that's at winnielingavig.com. Say hi, ask me a question, take something I said, make it your own, apply it somewhere else. Please come visit me. That's why I'm there to simply remind you of how useful and usable yoga can be. Sarah, love, love to meet all of your listeners. And I love your newsletter. I'm on your newsletter and I love reading your emails. And I love how you really speak to people. I think that's what I feel like you're speaking to me. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's like a personal, yeah. it seems personal and it seems like a conversation. Yeah. Uh, and I love that about your, you, your presence. Well, and the newsletter is like, I'm here to help. So I'm here to just remind you. And like, for instance, this week I'm sending out like this is little tutorial about how to, how to use a resistance band in, in a stretch. And I can't wait to send it. And I know like a lot of the people are trainers and coaches and busy moms. They might not try it for a whole class, but it will, it will go into their little arsenal and it might help. And I also love putting a face on it because I think that a lot of people think, oh, someone that's a yoga teacher for 20 years, they look or sound a certain way. And um, we come in all shapes and sizes and we do different things. And some of us have a big sense of humor and make fun of themselves all the time. That's me. And that does not mean that I don't take yoga seriously because mm. I certainly do, but I take myself extremely lightly. And that is really how we get through this. So yes, please sign up for my newsletter. Come visit me on Instagram. Absolutely would love to chat with you all of you. And I have a question that I asked you yesterday. What would you say is your mom's strength? And as I said yesterday, (laughs) I'm 10 years in and I'm still winging it. But I would say that I, I feel, you know, and again, I don't mean to sound like I'm like super religious because I'm not, um, but I feel like we're all connected. And even those of us that we have differences with. And in, especially in, in, you know, to the South of you in this country, there's a lot of differences happening. We're all wanting the same things. And, and in my mom's strength is that I can see that. Like we all want the best for our children. Um, even those that we disagree with, right? We all want to be seen. We all want a safe world. Of course, we all have different ways of thinking that is. And once you start to see as a parent, other people's, humanity like even like that parent like you disagree with or or you and I were talking about that coach before like yeah um you see them as a person as another as a as a human human being you can't that really gives you the superpower of not taking things personally 
and perhaps being able to move forward and to move forward with grace. And I think especially in these days, in these times, these political times, we need to really focus on what we have in common because we're all in this together. And I think that is a mom power because we're doing this for for our kids. I think that is a beautiful strength and you're so right about that is I found there's certain things that I never thought about until I became a mother because Mm -hmm. I want to make this, I want to leave this world a better place for my children. I want to be better in this world for my children as well. And I think that seeing each other's humanity, seeing people's similarities before you start saying you're different, you're different, um, is truly, truly incredibly powerful. Yeah, and that's how we're going to move forward. And that's how we're, and that's, yeah, we're not going to move forward by yelling and screaming at each other. Um, and thank you. I think, I mean, you, you probably, it's so hard to think about one mom's strength because we all have so many strengths, but I love ending with that question because I always get the most interesting answers and how, how unique and different we all are in our strengths. Um, Thank you so much, Winnie, for sharing the past hour and a bit with us today, sharing your yoga practice and the way you inspire and the way you teach and the way you practice yourself. Uh, I loved hearing about you and the language that you use around yoga and um, how you teach self-regulation to not only your adults, but also your <laughs> your daughter and her peers. And I want to start doing something like that for when my daughter starts school. I think that's a great way to stay connected in the, you know, and um, give back to the community as well. Mm-hmm. If you're a listener and you found this episode helpful, please go give Winnie a follow, go say hi to her, mm-hmm. um, get on her newsletter list and share this episode with someone you know would benefit from listening to this with all of your friends who like practicing yoga and maybe your friends who would benefit from it as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links and we'll chat again real soon.